0: Heavenly Father, we, uh, we ask you that you would pour out your spirit abundantly on us right now. We know that you are already in us, those of us that are in you, but we pray that you would illuminate our minds and give us understanding that you would uh, speak to us through Ross as he preaches, that you would proclaim the good news to our hearts and remind us once again our need for you. We pray that you would guide us and teach us, Holy Spirit. You are our teacher and our guide. We pray that you would illuminate our minds and give us understanding that we might know the riches, the riches and the fullness that we have in Jesus Christ. But I pray that you would calm Ross's heart, that he would not just see us, but that he would see you and that he would speak what you want him to say, not just what he thinks we should hear, but including that. Let us be washed by the power of your written word as it is read, and let us be convicted and then overjoyed through the sermon that we hear. pray these things in the Lord Jesus Christ's name, amen. Okay, guys, we're going to read Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, hopefully you guys get there. I, therefore, a prisoner... One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all.
1: invite you to take a look at your Bible, at the verses. And um, I want to ask you, what what is the first word that you see after the word I? It's the word therefore. And here's an, an important Bible study technique. Whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you want to ask What is the therefore, therefore? See, that's a special word because it shows us that what what comes before is a reason for what comes after. That's what that therefore. Sorry, therefore. (laughs) So if you look, we're at an important part in the book of Ephesians. We already went through chapters 1 through 3, and this is a turning point for us. Chapters 1 through 3 are chapters that show us what Christ has already done for us. And chapters 4 through 6 describe to us what Christ wants to do through us. Chapters 1 through 3 are the foundation. Chapters 4 through 6 is what Christ is building. I said in a sermon I preached earlier that the book of Ephesians' message, one of its messages for us is, we need to become what we already are. And chapters 1 through 3 tell us about Jesus and the new identity that he gives us. Chapters 4 through 6 tell us into the new people that we become when we follow him. And so it's important that as we walk through the next 3 chapters in this book that we keep this in mind. Because if we don't, this book will kill us spiritually. You see, the commandments of God were never meant to be kept without having the gospel in mind. If we hear the commandments in the next three chapters of this book about how to live and how to act, and we forget, we forget how Jesus already acted in our place, it won't help us at all. The only sin that any of us can conquer is a sin that's already been canceled by Christ. And the only obedience that we can ever do is blood-bought obedience. And so if we forget about Jesus, as we hear the next three chapters of this book, we forget about everything. So That's a plea to everyone, just to remember Jesus and remember his cross work as we listen to the next three chapters of Ephesians about how he wants us to change and how he wants us to become new. So let's see then where, where this book takes us If we look back at verse 1, see what comes after, therefore, it says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So I want to ask you, what do you think it means to walk worthily of the calling to which you have been called? What does it mean to walk as a Christian? Perhaps you think it means serving other people or helping orphans or widows or people who need help. Or maybe it's not lying or not lusting or not stealing from other people. I know those are things that would come into my mind. But if you read this text, the chapter that, or this, this, these verses that we're studying, the answer is actually Unity. Christian unity is the first place that Paul's mind goes when he says, this is the way I want you to walk. I mean, look at verse 3. It says that we'd be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And at first, suggestion that the idea of unity, it, it sounds so ordinary. But if we really think about it, if we really think about unity, we find that it's actually actually quite extraordinary. I mean, just just consider with me for a second the evangelical church. we're, We're a church, right? An evangelical church. And when I reflect on the evangelical church, unity is not the first word that comes into my mind. Like, if we look back at our history, we have a pretty bad job of dealing with differences between ethnicities, differences between socioeconomic statuses, we haven't done a good job addressing those things. And I know I've also been a, lot, a part of a lot of churches where I've observed and heard about fighting. I really believe that it's the enemy's number one way of tearing apart the bride of Christ. is Can I get them to fight with one another? I feel like right now, like we're kind of in our honeymoon period right now as a church. We all like each other because we're new but the honeymoon comes to an end, and are we going to be willing to fight for unity when the other people kind of annoy us a little bit sometimes? And, and to, add, to add to it here, our church's name is All People's Church, which means we want to be a church of all kinds of different people. We want the young and old. We want the rich and poor. We want people of different backgrounds and different experiences which means that we're going to add new things that we have to go through if we're going to have unity. Because we have to wade through different cultural preferences. We'll have to wade through potential misunderstandings. And quite frankly, cultural forces that tell us if we're really different from each other, we should be in conflict with one another. We We should be striving against the other group for our own group. We have to fight against all those things on top of the fact that we have sinful hearts. So when I joined All People's Church, I brought my sinful heart into the church, and I sin against people. And so it brings me to question and to think, is it possible? How can we possibly maintain unity and the bond of peace? This text is going to help answer that question. Please look at me at verse 2. So we want to walk worthily of the call to which we have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So this is point one Unity requires humility. Unity requires humility. So I'm talking about walking worthily, and you might ask, Ross, what does it look like? Like, What does it look like when we're doing it? I, I want to I know what to look for and what to strive for. And the verse tells us exactly what to look for. It says, look for people who are humble. Look for people who are gentle. Look to be patient, forbearing, and eager for unity. Now, that, that's kind of a long list, and I want to boil it down. what is the idea here that Paul is getting at? What is the idea that he wants us to understand? And what I think unites these different things together is the idea that we would be more concerned with others than ourselves. That we would change our orientation from thinking about and being concerned about the self to being concerned with the well-being and the welfare of others. It is prideful people, like me, who tends to think of myself before others more than others and forget about them. And isn't that what tears down unity? Isn't that what rips people apart when my own interests matter and the other person doesn't. So the transformation that we're aiming for is a transition from self-absorption to God-absorption and others' absorption. Like, can we be, can we be obsessed with other people? <laughs> Wouldn't that be a strange place to be? If we were a place that is obsessed with loving and being with and thinking about other people, even before our own selves. Now, the first two words that the text says is to walk with humility and gentleness. If we go back in time, back to when those words were written, did you know that those two words were not good things to be? Like, if you were called humble back then, that was actually like a derogatory term. That was a term that would be applied to like a household servant, or a slave, or someone who is not very desirable. They would get called, you're a humble person. Back then, you wanted to be a proud warrior. You wanted to ascend beyond other people. It might have felt a little bit like what what the social media world feels like. Where you're in competition with the other people to get the most likes, to get the most followers, to post the most things. You don't on social media, I'd never see anyone post something that makes them look weak or bad. You see their best face, their best foot forward. There's this and and that's probably a lot like what the world was back like back then where you'd want to ascend and be the best. And into this world steps Jesus Christ. And what does he say about himself? He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke for me and learn from me, for I am lowly. That's the word humble. I am lowly and gentle in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. So Jesus comes as a humble person, as a servant, when no one else wanted to be a servant. And he served us. He served us all the way by dying on the cross. And then this text says that you would walk worthily of the calling to which he called you. He called you. If you're in him today, he called you to himself. And what he called you to be is a servant like him. You see, the beautiful thing about Jesus' call is it's not just an invitation, but it creates what it invites. If he wants humble people and he calls you, you can become a humble person by his power because his words create new things. His words created the world. It can create humble people out of pride people. And so something happens when we are called by Jesus for the first time we're able to care more about others than ourselves. And this transition from self-focus to others' service, that's the key. That's the key to being able to have unity when a billion things would rip us apart. If we are truly interested in the good of others, we can weather so many storms and so many conflicts, and so many misunderstandings, as long as I'm willing to die so that my brother or sister would be happy. As soon as we lose that attitude, then we're in trouble. Then we're in trouble. And you see the words that come next. says that we would be patient, and that we would bear with one another in love. And so when we're truly interested in the well-being of others, something crazy happens. We can, others can sin against us and do wrong to us and we can forbear it without striking back. And people can annoy us and do the exact same thing that we ask them not to do ten times. And we can be patient with You see, the the response of our hearts is to strike back when someone strikes you or to show anger and frustration when someone just keeps messing up or keeps annoying you or keeps getting in the way of your happiness. But we don't have to do that if we have Jesus and we have our interest in other people. I, I have to let you in on something. That if you're a member at All People's Church, you will be sinned against and you are going to sin against other people. And this text says that we can forbear with one another in love. Here's a quote by a German pastor, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, Life Together. He said, the Christian, however, must bear the burden of a brother. He must suffer and endure the brother or sister. It is only when he is a burden that another person is really a brother and not just merely an object to be manipulated. The burden of men was so heavy for God himself that he had to endure the cross. God verily or truly bore the burden of men in the body of Christ Jesus. So there is a way to walk together that will make being a loving family for the long haul possible. And it isn't hiding from one another so we don't hurt one another. No, we actually have to be around one another if we're going to sin against one another and forbear one another and forgive one another. And that brings up another side of unity that I want to have us to have in mind. Is that we think of disunity as only happening when there's a fight and unforgiveness, and two parties which were together now have resentment against each other. But I think there's another more subtle form of disunity, maybe one that a lot of you might even be prone to, like myself, which is the disunity of neglect or disinterest in other people. You might have never fought with them. You might have never had a beef with them or a conflict with them. But at the end of the day, they just aren't worthy of your time or your investment. That you just don't like them that much or you don't make an investment to be with them and you let other things crowd out your relationship with your family and hey, I might have never fought with anyone but I never really knew anyone either and they never really knew me. And friends, if, if we have this unity with one another, it reveals something is broken in our hearts. That's where the problem lies. It is broken in our hearts. I think maybe that's why Jesus said that if you do not forgive the sins of others, neither will I forgive you. He's a very high burden for this because it shows that there's something wrong in our hearts. If we don't want to be with the people of God, if there's just not an interest in being with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, who Jesus calls his body, it might show, it might reveal, that we actually don't want to be with Jesus. If we want to be with Jesus, we want to be with his body. That's who he calls his people. He calls his people a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's where his presence is. And so, and I'm not saying I'm perfect at this. But I'm saying that if you find yourself in that place where the people that we have committed to just aren't that important, then it's okay to have a heart check, a prayer time, a time of repentance, and not to just think, oh, this is just going to pass. But this needs to be addressed. This needs to be addressed. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you don't tend to fight with other people, but when they annoy you, When they get on your nerves or or you don't find them that important to you, you just kind of withdraw and stop talking to them. Like, they're just not that important. And I need to hear, I need to hear that I need to strive for unity. When I'm I'm eager for unity, unity is going to overcome my desire for comfort. Unity is going to overcome any idea I need, any revenge that I want to take on anyone else. Unity is going to be more important than that if Jesus is more important. So let us be eager for unity together. Let us maintain the bond of peace. And maybe you're thinking right now, oh, that was a heavy word for me. How am I going to do it? How, how do I make my heart want unity? Like, it's one thing I can, I can make myself show up to an event, but how do I make my heart want unity? And now we're going to move on to point two. And point two is the foundation of our unity is the Trinity. The foundation of our unity is the Trinity. So here's verses four through six. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So, how do these verses connect to the verses that came before them? I think these are the reasons. This is the foundation for the call for unity. These are all the different reasons that we have to desire to be one that Paul lists out for us. And he doesn't give a whole lot of explanation, does he? He just says, There's this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this, so you got to be one. And I think it is supposed to be a little mysterious. I don't think we're supposed to perfectly figure out how each one of us is supposed to make us want to be one. But I do think that we're supposed to feel a weight. There's a real sacredness to unity. There's a real importance for unity. Unity is not just a team-building goal. Unity is about the holiness of God. Can we go there? Can we believe that? There is one of the most important reasons, though, that stands out to me from that list. Can you see it? Can you see what the most important reason is? In verse 4, Paul mentions the Spirit. Verse 5, he mentions the Lord, who is Jesus. And in verse 6, he mentions the Father. You can't get any bigger reason than that. It's the Trinity. You see, Father, Son, and Spirit. So something that we've seen so far in the book of Ephesians is that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work together in one beautiful harmony to rescue God's people. And now God says that the Father, Son, and Spirit, God in three persons, blessed Trinity, is the foundation of our unity. And I wonder how often we're astonished that God exists in three persons. That God is one being in three persons. Like, do we ever really think about that, or is it just kind of a confession we say? I know I don't think about it very often. Like, it just doesn't seem to me to be that important that God is three persons. It's just kind of confusing and weird and complicated, and it doesn't quite make sense. But it's actually really important, because if God was just one person, like the Muslim God Allah, then when he existed before he created the world, he would have been a non-relational being. There wouldn't have been anyone for him to love or to be loved by. Relationship wouldn't be important to him at all. He would just be on his own. There'd be nothing glorious, nothing beautiful, nothing lovely about him. It would just be one one isolated, lonely person. But to the contrary, this text tells us what we know from the Bible is that God is actually an intimate family before he ever creates the world. God is a joyful community before he ever creates us. That's the God we worship. And so before God ever created the world, the Father is delighting in and loving the Son. He loves the Son. And the Son is is glorifying the Father. And the Spirit's in there doing something. And so there's this beautiful family and harmony about the Trinity That no other God, no other deity even comes close to comparing with. And and we see this in John chapter 17. Jesus prays, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And so we see here that before the world existed, the Father glorifies the Son, and the Son glorifies the Father. There is a family. There is a relationship with here. And why does this matter for us? Why is this important to us? Because it takes a community to image God. If God's a community, it's going to take a community to image God. Which means that every person who is here is important to imaging God. That we image God less than we could if we lose anyone. And the different kinds of people that are here Im- brings the image of God to be more clear, more beautiful. So yeah, is there a purpose for me at this church? Why do I come here? Do I matter? You do, because it takes a whole community to image God. I talk a lot about lone wolf Christianity and why it doesn't work. This is one of the reasons. Because as much as you obey Jesus on your own, as much as you do on your own, until you're with his people in a community, You're not imaging him like he wants you to image him. You're not painting a picture of what he's like until you're being loved and loving others. So as we think about God as a family, as a community that is loving, in love, there's love between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let us pray for the urgency to love one another, to image that Father, because, because if we don't, what we'll find is that we're painting an inaccurate picture of God. If we give up on unity with one another, we stop painting a picture of what God is like. Please hear John 17:11. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. So what what does it mean for us if we don't have unity here at All People's Church? What it means is that we have placed a priority or desire higher than God. Because if God is our priority and his priority is our unity then it follows that something must have gotten more important than God if we're not one with each other. And so if we don't have unity it must be because of idolatry. It must be idolatry that we're fighting in our own hearts. So what 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 could that idolatry be? It can be the idolatry of comfort. This person just isn't the person that I like to be around the most. It could be the idolatry of self-importance that no nobody gets away with insulting me without getting payback. It could be the idolatry of self. I just want to serve myself and I don't want to surrender. I don't want other people to have my time. It could be selfishness. And so there are all the different idols that we're fighting against. And there is hope. There is hope to fight against all of them. Because God reveals himself and he's calling us to himself. He's saying, how am I have a relationship with me? I w- the same unity that I share between myself and my son, I want to share with you and I want you to have it with one another? Because the good news is that if there's disunity between you and your brother or sister, and both of you share God as the most important value in your life, that's the most important thing to you, then wouldn't you be willing to make any sacrifice? Wouldn't you be willing to overcome any hurdle to fix whatever's wrong between you I think you would. I think you would. And so the the hope that we have for unity is, is the Trinity. Now the main burden, the main point I want you to walk away with today, if you want to write something down, is sharing one God must make us one people. Sharing one God must make us one people. So, I didn't talk about one really central verse in this passage very much. It's verse 3. It says that we would be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So, do do you see that word maintain? This is actually a very similar word to the word God said to Adam when he said, I want you to work. And to keep the garden. And what's significant about that word is it does not say, I want you to create unity or make unity. And thank the Lord that it doesn't. I mean, what a burden. If we were had to create the unity that approximates the unity of the Trinity. No, thank you. That sounds harder than anything I've ever tried to do. No. Quite to the contrary, we have to maintain the unity that God's already given us. He has given us the unity, and we have to keep it. God doesn't expect us to create the unity any more than he expected Adam to create the Garden of Eden. He just expects us to contend for it, to fight for it, to sacrifice for it, to maintain it, to do whatever we can to respect the unity that God has given us. And what, what, what do I mean, I guess, what do I mean when I say that God created the unity that we have? What I mean by that is Jesus came from heaven to earth and he suffered and died for us. He bore Ross's sin, he bore the sins of any who trust in him and died for them. And what he did was he brought the Father and us, if we're trusting in him, back into a relationship of love. And he did the same thing with his people. He removed the barriers. He removed the things that were separating them with his own blood, with his own body, hanging on the tree. Ephesians 2.15 says, he abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two so making peace. Does this confuse you at all? It might. And all it means is that what we're doing is we're working out relationally what God has already accomplished in reality. And so you you belong to a family. You have father, father and mother, perhaps, brothers and sisters, perhaps. And you never even create those relationships but you do have to maintain them. You do have to invest in them. You do have to put effort into them because if you don't, they'll unravel. And so God's not asking us to make someone else a brother or sister. Only he can do that. What he's asking us to do is to maintain that relationship that he already created. And perhaps today you're visiting here and you've never followed Jesus yet. I wonder, do you feel alone? Do you feel forgotten? Do you feel left out? I have good news for you. You are welcome in this family. You are welcome here. Jesus died to remove every bit of shame, every bit of sin, anything that could keep you and him apart, anything that could keep you and us apart is 100% taken care of already. And so, I just invite you to not be alone anymore. I invite you to trust in Jesus. And please, come up and ask questions to us who are up here afterwards if that's something you want to know more about. But he died so that no one, nobody, no one would have to ever be alone. What a Savior. What a Savior. So what immediate steps would I urge you to take? Just two really easy ones. Press in and pray. Press in and pray. I mentioned that there's two ways that unity can be lost. One is that we just stop caring about or spending time with one another and to, if you're caught in that situation, if you're just not giving the initiative, or maybe they're not giving the initiative to reach out to you, don't retreat. Don't hide. Press in. So remember that we're not trying to create unity. We're just trying to maintain it. So even if you don't feel like you're part of the family yet, you have an invitation from Jesus to press into this family. You have, a, you have power from Jesus to press into this family. and you might ask well well who should i initiate with i mean there's more there's more people here than there were before who do i start with well we have mc groups and dna groups for a reason they're not they're not just to sound cool they're they're because we want to put people around you who you can make your priority and pour into and pursue and so those are the people i would just invite you to start with can you pursue the people who are already in your front window, who are already before you, who you're already committed with, can you press in with the power that Jesus supplies? And what if you have conflict with other people? What if there's resentment? What if there's pain or hurt from other people in this room? What, what can I do then? Well, I invite you to pray. Pray what? That, that God would bring judgment on this other person, that he would make them come crawling back to you asking for forgiveness? No. No, start. Start by repenting. Very rarely is there a conflict where you can't find something to repent for. Even if it's 99% the other person, can you start by repenting? And can you pray for the person? When When I let my mind run wild, it's really easy for me to dislike other people. Like, if someone did something bad to me and I just let my mind run wild, I can think of how angry that made me, how bitter I am. But you know what? When I'm praying for someone else, for their good and their blessing, I find it awfully hard to dislike them. I find it awfully hard to hold something against them. So the first step to take, if you feel bitterness and resentment and disunity Boiling up is to take it to the Lord in prayer. Here's one secret I want to let you in on. Prayer not only moves the heart of God, it moves our hearts too. Do you feel like you're unable to forgive? Maybe you haven't prayed enough yet. Maybe you haven't prayed enough yet. I want us to ask, what would happen? What would happen if we lived out pursuing this unity? Like, what would this place be like? And I'm really excited to think about it. It would be a place where people not only attended, not where they just showed up, but where they actually belonged. We wouldn't just talk about being a family. We would feel like a family. And when we're in that position, when we're in that place where we feel like a family, then John 17, 21 is going to come true, where Jesus prayed, I pray that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So much of our mission here at this church is a longing for unbelievers to become believers. So much of the church is a longing for those who don't feel like they're welcome at church to be welcome here among our people. We're never going to see this vision happen without unity. We will always be in square one until we have unity. Our vision statement to reach those far from God will be one big flop unless we have unity with one another. And But if we do, If we do, we will be surprised and amazed at what God will do through us. So friends, as we close, we have only Jesus to thank for this unity. He left the comfort and company of heaven to come and be born in a manger. He was betrayed and left alone By all of his friends. And then crucified on a cross. But then he rose again from the dead. And then he ascended into heaven. And then he brought together a church and poured out the Holy Spirit into us. And says that the unity that he has with the Father. That unity that he has with the Father. Is the unity that he wants us to have with one another. And then he says, I'm coming back. I'm coming back one day and I'm going to make all things new and all things right and I'm going to have my people in my place and there will be no more divisions between them. No more pain between them. No more suffering. No more arguments between them. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are one God. And you desire for us to be one people. I pray first and foremost that everyone here in this room would know the one true God. And that we could become one like you are. God, overcome every division, every barrier that's keeping us from this. Lord, you have the power to do it. You have the love to do it, so please do it. Pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Now I just invite you to just take a few moments to reflect on what you just heard. Just pray that God would impress on your heart whatever he wants to impress on your heart. Pray that whatever He wants you to do differently, that He make it clear to you right now what it is He wants you to do differently. That if anything was confusing, pray that He make it clear to you. Spend a few moments with the Lord.